0: Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me, Christine. Very much indeed. Last time we began to explore uh, the mystery of unanswered prayer. In fact, it's a it's a mystery only to us. It's not a uh, not a mystery to God in in any sense. Uh, and we come as we began to explore last week to this uh, difficult subject with a certain amount of confidence because what we don't understand, God knows. And what we don't know, God knows. And in those moments when heaven seems at its most silent, we can still draw near to the God who knows and who understands. With the belief, and this is the crux, with the belief that God is always for our good. And I suspect if I was to ask each of us that question, do you believe that God is always for our good? There would be a whole range of answers, but in essence we would probably say, I want to believe it, but so often my experience in life challenges my belief that God is always for my good, not least when faced with unanswered questions. Prayer. How can God be good when heaven is silent to my cries for help? How do we unravel the mystery? Well, last time we, we, we saw how God, in different ways, responds to what we might broadly say, uh, that's a prayer that is unanswered. Sometimes, and we looked at this specifically last week, sometimes God says no. How do we cope when God says no? Sometimes God doesn't say no, but he says slow, slow. It's the wrong time. Sometimes God doesn't say slow, but he says, you're asking in the wrong context. There's something about you that needs to change. So God says, grow. And other times, the right request at the right time in the right way, God says, yeah, let's do it. And God says, go. I was conscious after we left last week that God saying no is a really hard place. Really tough when God says no. Jesus knew all about God saying no. Just hours before the cross, Jesus says, come on, a different way. A different way. And the Father said, no. No. But then, it talks about heaven coming and ministering to him. If God is saying no to you today, then he's not saying no to his presence. And the most precious thing you can find in those moments when God says no is to know, K-N-O-W, that his presence is there. And that's our prayer for one another. Aren't you glad God didn't say yes to Jesus' prayer that afternoon, that evening? And as we go back and we look through our lives, and as we go to heaven and we 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 gain a very different perspective, there will be many things and many times that even though we didn't understand it, and even though the pain of it was ever so real, we'll look back and we'll say with our hands on our hearts, I was glad God said no. When all of my heart longed that he would say yes. This morning, though, we move on to the second uh, focus, that sometimes God says Slow. There are times when we don't receive an answer to our prayers, and we think God is saying no, when actually what he's saying is not yet. No, or not yet. Do you know the difference between a no or a not yet? Children can hardly tell the difference between a no and a not yet. I'd like a biscuit in a moment. Oh! i wanted it now no just wait and young children respond as if they've heard no when what's actually been said is a not yet you can have it in two minutes listen good news you're having what you asked for but i want it now they hear a no when they're being offered a not yet Childish impatience is still with most of us, isn't it? We're just much better at hiding it. And so the inner child drives us and we have motorways with fast lanes and supermarkets with express checkouts and MOTs while you wait because the impatient child in us is still demanding to be satisfied, not then, but now, to grant every request, not then, but now. Can I have a biscuit? What's the magic word? Now please. And when it comes to prayer, this inner child that's in me and may well be in you needs to be brought under control. I don't know what to think. I've been praying for three days now and nothing's happened. We're talking about the God who's been from everlasting to everlasting. Three days. What does God want? Four The maturity of the disciple that has learned to understand the difference between a no and a not yet. When God says not yet, we can get out of our pram, we can stamp our feet, we can slam the door, we can kick the cat and hit the dog, we can behave like a petulant child. And God will say you can stamp and you can kick all you like, but he's no more intimidated than a wise parent is by such childish behaviour. Kick and scream if you must. I know what I am doing. I have my reasons. The all-wise knowing God says, not yet will you wait. A delay is not a denial. I started thinking about the story of the Bible. And I started thinking about all the different times in the Bible when God said, not yet. And I thought what the story would look like if when God had said not yet, the people acted like God was saying no. The Bible would have come to an end a few chapters in, and no more would have been written. All of the time, so many times, it was not a no, but a not yet. We want, okay, but not yet. Will you? Yes, I will, but not yet. In the fullness of time, in his time. Imagine if people gave up when there was a delay. Imagine if you've given up on some things, believing in your heart that God's saying no, when actually what he's saying is not yet. So here we have a story, where they could have easily thought that God was saying no. But in fact, he was saying not yet. I hope you've got it open in front of you. Uh, Page 1025, uh, still Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's so typical of life, isn't it? These were good people, devout people. They were the salt of the earth. They would do anything for everybody. They were the righteous people. And this bad thing has happened to good people. And we see that story so often. They're a picture of so many situations. A bad thing to good people. They prayed all their lives for a child. And now in their old age, Zechariah, a priest, is performing this ever-so-important task, the annual burning of incense in the most holy part of the temple. And it's while he's in there by himself that an angel appears to him and says these words. Luke 1, verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Your prayer has been heard. Past tense. When we ask an answerable prayer, God hears. What's that angel saying? That angel saying, Zechariah, all those times when you were praying and you thought God wasn't listening. All those times you and your wife knelt by the bed at night and you cried out to God for a son or a daughter and you felt God was nowhere to be seen, God was listening. When you felt God didn't care, he heard the cries of your hearts. Know today your prayer has been heard. Some of us need to know that our prayers have been heard the husband you've been praying for, the children you've been praying for, the healing you've been praying for, and it's gone on and on, and it feels like God isn't listening, that God doesn't care, that God's nowhere. We need the reassurance, the whisper of heaven's angel that says into our lives, God has heard. The Greek verb should rightly be translated was heard and it carries a rather unusual prefix denoting a kind of action and a result. So packed into that little phrase that the angel comes from heaven to bring to Zechariah is this, God has heard your prayer and already done something about it. Hallelujah. Zechariah, you have no idea as a human being. Elizabeth, you have no idea as a human being. You cannot see what God sees and knows, but I've come from heaven to tell you two things. One, God's heard your prayer, and he's already done something about it. Way back. From the first time you prayed, God heard your prayer. Zechariah, a delay is not a denial. The Bible teaches us that so many times that God always hears our prayers. Before they call, before they even say it, God says, I will answer. I might not give it then, but I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. There is no prayer that the God of heaven does not hear or know or understand. The granting of the prayer is immediate. The giving might be delayed. That's what Daniel's experience was in Daniel chapter uh, 10. He, he prayed for three weeks, fasting and praying and crying out to God for God to move in his situation. And eventually, three weeks later, the angel comes up and says what? Since the first day, since the moment you started to pray, God heard. Hallelujah. Since the moment... And there's a call in God's word to see things from a different perspective. It would have been easy for Elizabeth and Zechariah to walk out on God. Easy for Daniel to say, God's not interested. He doesn't care, he doesn't know, he doesn't understand. And the angel comes from heaven and whispers into our hearts, God hears already. And he's done something about it. Zechariah was to learn that his prayers had been heard. We sometimes reflect on all those wasted years of prayer. Sometimes we'll say in our anger and our frustration, I've prayed for years and nothing's happened. Wrong. We've prayed for years and the God of heaven has heard our cry. Trust God for what he may have already granted, but not yet given. You can have it, but not yet. A delay is not a denial, and a delay is always for our greater good. If you see it there in verse 14... Uh, he will be, that's John, that's their son that they'd longed for and never had. He will be a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. Why? For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Their story could have been quite different, couldn't it? God could have answered their prayer in their time. They would have had a son or a daughter. No doubt they would have been thrilled and overjoyed. They would have loved him or her and brought them up in the fear and love of the Lord. But we wouldn't be telling their story today. And their boy would have lived and died and his memory faded in the dust. And no one would remember him. No sermons would be preached about him. No uh, heralding the Messiah. No the one who would open the way for Jesus to come. God had a much bigger, a much better a much greater plan. He gave them the forerunner to the Messiah. And so their joy in their old age multiplied. Not not only did God give the desires of their hearts, but he gave them so much more. Imagine with me for a moment a much younger Zechariah and Elizabeth who totally disagreed with God at the time. All their friends and family were having children. Kids were everywhere. Elizabeth would go out in the morning, kids running up and down the street. As she lay down at night, there were kids screaming in another house. How she longed that for that to be her house. And it wasn't. Angry that their prayers weren't answered. Bitter and resentful that the goodness of God was somehow lacking in their lives. Are you carrying anger and bitterness in your heart towards God for not answering your prayers your way? when actually he's preparing something better just now. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, he saved the best until last, which is exactly what Jesus did at the wedding of Cana. In our anger and our bitterness, we need to hear the truth of the Psalms. The Lord God is a sign and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And yet I find myself complaining so bitterly about the prayers God hasn't answered yet. Complaining so bitterly that God's still withholding something that really in my heart I believe he wants to give, but he's somehow not doing it. And my tantrums and my anger and my frustration doesn't lead to anything but my own bitterness. And in my arrogance, I can find myself shouting at God to give me something now that maybe he's already promised, but his plan is so much better. And in my frustration and in in my sense of I'm the centre of my own world, I tell God he should do it now because I know best. And he just waits. Graciously waits. He promises to withhold no good thing. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, the late Ruth Graham now, If God answered every prayer of mine, I would have married the wrong man seven times. Thank God for some unanswered prayer. Thank God for some of his delays. You see, a delay is often until it seems impossible. Have you noticed that? God often delays until the moment of any kind of human intervention seems long past. Zechariah says to the angel, How can I know? I'm an old man, and well, my wife, she's well along in years, also a bit gentler perhaps. The message translates it I'm past it, and so's my missus. It's way gone. This window of opportunity is well and truly closed. You're joking. Same is true for Abraham and Sarah. Can you remember a similar story? God had said to Abraham, you're going to have a son, and this son will will be the heir to many nations. Uh, And then they get older, and they're past it. The window is gone, and they don't know what to do. God has said, and yet the humanness of the situation says that what God has said cannot come to pass. Abraham and Sarah did the worst thing at that moment. Can you remember what they did? They took the law of God into their own hands. They said, God's promised this, and he's blatantly failed on his promise. We're going to fix this by ourselves. So Abraham went and slept with Sarah's mistress. That was a big mistake. And it brought calamity on them. Sometimes we try and fix what God has promised. I know God's promised this, but it's taking too long and I'm in a hurry and I'm going to push and manipulate and we're back to what we thought of last week, the pushing and the shoving and the kicking and the screaming. No, God, in his time, in his time. If you're going to keep going in prayer, if I'm going to keep going in prayer, I need to know that sometimes things become even more futile until they become fruitful you ever prayed for someone who was sick only to watch them get worse? you ever prayed for a a, a sympathetic unbeliever, a spouse or a friend, only to watch them get more and more antagonistic? It's useless. It's making it worse. God's abandoned us. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed and prayed and they saw it slip away. They got older and older and the window closed and then was shut. And they felt God had left them totally abandoned them. Many of us know in our own experience of things getting to that point beyond human redemption before God intervenes. God waits until it seems all hope is lost before he does something about it. I hardly ever talk about my children in a particular personal way. I I don't want them to feel they live in some kind of uh, goldfish bowl uh, around here. But on Thursday, most unexpectedly, in the middle of the afternoon, God spoke to me as clear as he ever speaks. And he said, I want you to tell this story today. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Today, really, that story? And uh, with my family's full consent, I share this story that has for us huge significance because Emma will be baptised here in two weeks' time. So it was the first Sunday in January 1998, We'd gone as a family to celebrate New Year in Cardiff. I'd come back by myself to preach on the Sunday uh, morning. Some of you will remember that weekend for very different reasons. It was the weekend that Sally Minto tragically, inexplicably died in her sleep. That Sunday morning was really difficult. You didn't want to be here. I didn't want to preach. It, was a, 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 it hovered over us. In the evening, Merle Eastman was being baptised and Martin, the senior minister then at the time, was leading uh, that service. So I'd driven back on the Saturday night from Cardiff, preached in the morning, then I'd gone to Jack Minto's house in the afternoon. When I left the night before, Rachel, our eldest daughter, was three and Emma was just ten weeks old. Emma was sniffling a bit with what seemed like a cold. On the Sunday morning, Emma was worse and I could tell on the phone that Kerry was worried. The brilliance of a mother's intuition. She took her to the doctors, even though to most it seemed like nothing too much was wrong as I left Jack's house from just around the corner here my phone rang as I walked out of the path Kerry said we're at the hospital they think she's got meningococcal septicemia just the word sends shivers down parents' spine so I got in the car and I drove faster than you're allowed the 250 miles back to Cardiff as I drove I cried, I prayed I panicked in no particular order sometimes all three at the same time, some of you spoke and prayed with me as I drove, thank you. Many more of you began praying, thank you. It was the middle of the evening, by the time I got to Cardiff and I went straight to the hospital. And Kerry had been faced holding Emma for hours of invasive tests, it must have been awful. Treatment was already underway and when I arrived they were explaining to Kerry that even if she makes it, she'd well be brain damaged. And there she was. Ten weeks old in an oxygen tent. Apparently when they arrived at the hospital, they had minutes to start treatment. If Kerry's intuition had not been all it was with persevering with on-call doctors, maybe we'd never have made it. So Sunday night, we just sat there, helpless and hopeless. We prayed, and we doubted. And when we didn't, others prayed for us. Through the night, things got worse. The next day, Monday, worse still. <coughs> then it was clear that she had bronchitis as well, a deep chest infection, equally life-threatening. So they started starving our 10-week-old daughter to reduce the size of her stomach so it wouldn't put any extra pressure on her lungs. Lungs which were by now gasping for air. Midday on Monday, some results are back, worrying indications of brain damage already. Nothing looked good. Monday night she gasped for air, it was agony for her and for us, each muscle in her body straining to the nth degree for every bit of air. Remember sitting in the room and all that could be heard was a, a huge gasp of this little girl as my dad prayed over her. Tuesday. Kerry remembers the conversation. Will she make it through today? How long can she go on like this? If we move her, we're not sure she'll make it. Within an hour, they're moving her. Moving her just a hundred yards to critical care took an age as they stopped again and again to stabilize her. And there she lay, unable to respond, full of wires. We couldn't hold her. All we could do was watch, helpless, as she fought for every breath. Tuesday evening we decided I'd go to my parents my parents just live a mile or so away from the hospital they were with Rachel, Rachel's three years old caught up in this incredible trauma let's just put her to bed, create some stability for her I'm in the bedroom putting Rachel to bed phone rings, it's Kerry, Emma's just stopped breathing you better come, they're asking for you to come in fact she'd stop breathing twice if she does that again we'll incubate if we incubate we've got no idea if we can bring her back I drove the mile to the hospital. I can remember like it happened yesterday, getting to the bottom of the hill by our house and driving around Fair Oak Roundabout. I can take you to the spot when in a matter of seconds, something that seemed like a lifetime took place. That I was shouting and screaming at God, what on earth was he doing? In fact, what on earth wasn't he doing? I don't know whether God spoke to me. I don't know whether I just thought it, but I remember asking myself the question, if she dies, what will I do? Will I walk out on him? Will I run? Will I give up? Can I preach next week? No. What will I do? What will I do? How can we carry on after this? And then I remember screaming at God with realisation, all on this seven-junction roundabout, screaming more angry than anything else, God, even if she dies, I'm going to stick with you, because frankly I've got nowhere else to go. And that moment has become for me an incredible rock of faith. God did something in me in that moment that I still don't fully understand. But deep in my spirit that day came a realisation I was going to have to trust him even if what I dreaded was about to happen. Why? Because I wanted to trust him. No, in that moment I couldn't think of anyone worse to trust. But if I didn't trust him, where else could I go? Where else could I go? He was all we had. I rushed through the hospital corridors into the room, busy with doctors and nurses. A tangible anxiety filled the air. Would it happen again? Would it be worse? The shock and trauma of what Carrie had gone through was palpable. Carrie and I in these moments, God, we're trusting you. And so we kept our vigil. What do you do? When God has stripped everything away so all you can do is trust him. I remember the doctor struggling to get a new cannula into a, a tiny veins. Not once, twice, through ten times. He went away, couldn't do it. Too small. Oh God, help us. But at the moment, things were at their worst. We were nearer to a miracle than we ever understood. And then there in the middle of the night, surrounded by bleeping machines and hospital equipment, heaven opened. In a matter of moments, and for no obvious reason, her breathing slowed. Her rhythm settled down. For the first time in days, her tense, exhausted body relaxed. The monitors, with their constant bleeping, calmed. It was like everything changed. The doctor came, he seemed as surprised as us. Can I hold her, please? Yes. With wires and tubes, I held her for the first time. We'd been taking turns to try and get some sleep. We'd been up since Sunday. Carrie had been up since Saturday. And this little girl who just before was fighting for every breath, this little girl that I'd wondered whether we'd ever hold again. opened her eyes and smiled. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. For the next four hours, she breastfed as if she hadn't eaten for days, which, of course, she hadn't. Many people had prayed. As Fiona shared at the church meeting last week, that night, 250 miles away, Heather Barrington's awake, can't sleep. Got to keep praying, got to keep praying, until she heard God say, she'll be well. It was that very hour Emma opened her eyes and smiled. Emma, fully restored to complete health, despite everything that was predicted over those days. And in two weeks time, she'll be baptized, right where I'm standing. God's rarely early, but he's never late. I'm asking you not to lose heart for the things that you're crying out to God for. I'm asking because in the moments when it seems like he's taken everything away and all you can do is say, oh God, you wish you could trust someone else or something else. The last thing you really want to do is trust him. But in those moments, you can trust him. Why does he do it like that? Maybe it's for this next reason. A delay is for his glory. A delay is for his glory. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. What what could she say? This is normal. There's nothing normal. The Lord has done this for me. It was for his glory. The delay was for his glory. Remember Gideon, 32,000. We're going to fight and God says, no, I want you to delay. What, to get more troops? No. What, to train our troops? No. What, so that we can be uh, improve our tactics? No. I want you to delay until you get down to some 300 men. I want you to delay until everything is stripped away and you can do nothing but trust him. Because it's for his glory. I don't know what those unanswered prayers are that are stirring bitterness and resentment in you today. Whatever they are, know that God's heard. That God's heard the cries of our hearts. Know that a delay is very different from a denial. Let's not give up on things that God might not yet have given. But he's already granted. For our greater good and for his greater glory i leave you with this image of the disciples in the boat on the lake and this huge storm was these are fishermen in the boat and a huge storm right and why are fishermen scared about this storm well they're scared because storms on galilee can come from nowhere and they've killed many of their friends so even though they're professional sailors and fishermen they're scared by what's going on and they're angry and they're resentful for jesus why because he's doing absolutely nothing He's sleeping in the boat just when they needed him And they wake him up full of bitterness and anger. What on earth are you doing, Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care? Well, he does care. He does care. And even the wind and the waves obey him. They felt like they were drowning. They felt like everything was stripped away. But ironically, they were safer in that boat with Jesus than they'd ever been. Because he cares. And because the wind and waves obey him. Know that it's safe because Jesus is here. And let's trust him to give what he may have already granted. Let's pray together.